Any of you guys ever heard of a Nintendo DS? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've heard of a Nintendo DS. Okay, hands down, hands down, hands down. If you have a Nintendo DS, hands up. Just a few. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. These things came out a while ago. Like, this is like my childhood, right? Now, does anybody know what does the DS stand for? Double screen. You cheaters were here last night. You were not here last night. You you heard me say double screen, right? Now, Nothing like this had ever come out before. Like, this Nintendo DS, when it, whenever like, I saw the commercials for it, I was like, I have to have it to play Pokemon, because I was a Pokemon person when I was a kid, right? Um, now, I got a Nintendo DS for my birthday for Christmas or something, and I was, like, stoked. I was so happy about this thing. I didn't really take care of it, though. It was, like, this big, bulky, red... It looked like a brick. <laughs> it was so big, Right? And I didn't take care of it. So after a few months of having it, it was just like scuffed up and had dents in it. It, it just wasn't, wasn't great. All right? There was even one time where I had it in my pocket and we were going to get in, in the car. How do you fit it in a pocket? I don't know. Those things were huge. I don't know. It was down in my pocket of my gym shorts, you know. And you know how sometimes your shorts or pants don't have very deep pockets and things fall out? Well, I was wearing some shorts that didn't have very deep pockets. So I put this Nintendo DS in there, this huge thing. And I, like, we were getting into the, my mom's car. So I like, ran into the garage, and I like, opened the door, and I like, jumped in the car. And the thing fell out, but I didn't know it. But as I was sitting down, I grabbed the handle of the door, and I pulled the door shut. And that DS got stuck in the door. Like, it was bad. I just, I just did not take care of it, right? And what would happen whenever you didn't take care of it, whenever it would go through just like a, a, a weird, like tough time just being thrown around. Um, I was playing it one day and of course it had a touch screen and it came with a little stylus pen, right? And I would press here on the screen, but it would think that I was pressing over here, right? So it, it just wasn't working the right way. And I got really upset and I was like, this dumb thing is not working. And I'm telling my mom about it. And she's like, Jacob, it's because you don't take care of that thing. Like, you, but did you know that you can recalibrate a DS screen? And I was probably like 11. I was like, what? Recalibrate? What? what does that mean? And she's like, you can recalibrate the screen. It's like you refocus it. You go through and you have to go to settings and you click recalibrate. And you have to touch where it says to touch and then it gets it back to where it's working the right way. And so sure enough, I went in, I recalibrated the screen and it started to work, All right? Now look, in the Christian life, you, first of all, let me say, you're probably wondering, how am I going to, take a Nintendo DS, and then switch it over to something about the Christian life. Well, here, here it comes, okay? In the Christian life, you're going to go through hard times. That's just the promise. We've talked about this a lot. You're going to go through difficult times. And when you go through difficult times, the Bible says there are things that you should focus on. But the problem is, the difficult thing is, when you go through a hard time, you and I have a tendency to lose our focus, Instead of to be focusing on the things like God and his love and the hope that we have and things that we're going to read starting in 1 Peter today, we will start to focus on, hey, this, this is really bad. This is a really bad situation. I don't understand why this is happening. And we lose our focus. Well, Peter, in the book of 1 Peter, he opens and essentially he's telling these Christians that they need to refocus. They need to go through a recalibration of their minds. They need to focus onto something so that they are working correctly, they have the right attitudes, that they have the right mindset. Well, Peter, the Apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, is writing this letter of 1 Peter. And if you haven't guessed, that's our new series today. We're talking about thank you, Jesus, for his blessings, for, for the mercy that he gives us. He's writing to these Christians, 
And these Christians in places like Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, they're going through a really hard time. Life is not easy for them. They were living in Rome before this, before they had to spread out, and the city of Rome burned down, burned to the ground, just complete devastation. And the fires were believed to have been started by the emperor of Rome, and the emperor at that time was Emperor Nero. Nero is a bad guy. Bad, bad guy. When you hear the name Emperor Nero, you just need to think evil, bad. He was really, really bad. Emperor Nero always had this dream that he wanted to build Rome to be bigger, to be grander, right? He he wanted it to have the best buildings, the best architecture. He had this dream of making it even better than it was. But in order for that to happen, he had to destroy what was there because he couldn't build on top of the things that were already there. So, because he had always talked about how he wanted Rome to expand and to have better architecture, all of the Romans, they just naturally made the connection, like, this has to be because of Nero. And they were probably right. But Nero is like, okay, well, this didn't go the way I planned. He probably didn't think it through enough, but he's thinking, well, they hate me now, but I have to redirect their hatred onto someone else. And he's thinking, who, who can I blame this on? And he decides... I'm going to blame this on the Christians. There was already some conflict and some animosity between the Christians and the Romans. See, the Romans, they knew that the Christians were somewhat associated with the Jews. And during the the time before Christ and as Christ was here, the Jews and the Romans, they didn't get along very well. So Nero decides, oh, I'm going to blame the Christians, and they're going to believe that, and they're going to start hating the Christians even more, because Nero already hated the Christians. So he says, hey, the fires were started by the Christians because they hate Rome. They want to see Rome fall. The the, the fires were started by the Christians. And so the Romans and the Roman government, they, they turned on the Christians and they started to persecute them. Even harder than they already were before. They were, some of them were being killed. They were being hurt. They, they were just all around were going through a really hard time because of this intense persecution brought on by Nero and the Roman government. And so the Christians, what they had to do then to save their lives is they had to run. They had to disperse. And they went to the cities that Peter names in verse 1. And this is very similar to what happened in the book of James. Right? We see the same thing happening in the book of James. He writes to the the Jews, the, the Jewish Christians of the dispersion. So look, Peter is writing this letter to these Christians. He would have written this letter and he gave it to a messenger and the messenger would have taken it from city to city to city, probably in the order that Peter listed it here. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Probably that was the order that the messenger took this letter. And the letter is all about this. Hey, you need to focus on Christ. You need to focus on the living hope that we're going to see about today that we have through Christ. You need to refocus. Don't think about the hard time you're going through. Don't even start to think that God is gone, that he's not there anymore. He's with you. He's controlling all things. Keep your hope in him. You need to refocus on Christ. And so here's what he says. You should be open to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So that's his greeting. That's like the introduction of the letter. And then in verse 3, he picks up and he says this, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, here's point number one. I want you to write it down this way. Trust and obey God. In Peter's greeting, in his introduction, he is re, he's helping them refocus on two things. To keep trusting and keep obeying God. Right? He's, like I said, he's writing to this letter. They're going through a really difficult time. And his opening words, these, these words are meant to bring them comfort. He wants them to feel comforted in the middle of this difficult situation. He's telling them, hey, you need to keep trusting God because God is in control of the situation. He hasn't lost control. You need to trust him and keep on obeying him. Don't think that he's gone and don't, don't let that then push you to say, well, if he's gone, then I don't need to obey him anymore. He's saying, keep trusting and keep obeying God. And he begins by referring to these Christians as what he says, elect exiles. They are elect exiles. First of all, he says the word elect. And what that word means is that they are chosen by God. If you're a Christian, You've been chosen by God to become a Christian. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a great thing. And Christians should be rejoicing because of this. Christians, right, are God's chosen people. So if you're a Christian, right, and, and these people reading this, they were Christians, Peter wants to comfort them by helping them to see this, to remember this. Like, hey, hey, you are still a child of God. You are still a Christian. You are still a part of God's chosen family. Your, your hard times, it doesn't mean that God has kicked you out of his family. It doesn't mean that he's, he's kicked you to the curb. You, you are still his child. So remember that no matter what you're going through, no matter what hard time you're facing, you as a Christian are still a part of God's family. And he wants them to remember this. And when they remember that they're still a part of God's family, it helps them to have hope. Like, yes, I am still a part of God's family. I am part of his elect, his chosen people. And he wants them to rejoice about this. And if you're a Christian, you need to rejoice about that too. And he calls them exiles. That's an interesting word. They're elect exiles. That word exile, it means that they were living somewhere away from their home. An exile is someone who gets kicked out or gets removed from their home because of some kind of persecution, whether it's like political or religious or whatever, right? And they're living in that. They're exiles. They are exiled from their home because of religious persecution, they had to disperse. They had to go away. Another word for exile is sojourner. A sojourner is someone who is wandering through, who, who is sojourning. It has a journey through somewhere to get to another place. Another word that you could use is pilgrim. Some of, some, if you, may, you may have a translation that uses the word sojourner or even pilgrim. A pilgrim is someone who's traveling through somewhere trying to get to a holy city. Trying to go somewhere that is holy. And look, these people, these Christians that Peter is writing to, they are elect exiles. But not just those Christians. You and I, Christians today, we are also elect exiles. Now, I know that you haven't been kicked out of your home. I know that your home didn't get burned down. I know that you're not under intense persecution like these Christians were. But you're an exile, meaning that this place, planet Earth, this is not your true home. This is not really where you belong. 
James, I'm sorry, Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Christians, your true home is heaven. You are a citizen of, of heaven. And you are journeying through this earth, waiting to come to that holy city, the new Jerusalem, the place that God will, will provide for us at the end of all things. Understand, this is not your true home. You are only here on earth for a very, very short time. Like, I know that you guys are young. And I know that you may look at your grandparents or your great-grandparents and you may think like, whoa, that, they're, old. they're old. Like I've got a lot of life to live, right? Even if you did live to be 90, 100 years old, that is a short, short time. Here's what James says about the life on earth. James 4.14 says, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Even if you live to be 100 years old, it's just a little time. Because you know what James is comparing that to? He's comparing it to eternity. Eternity means forever. Eternal. Forever and ever and ever and ever. So 100 years to us may seem like a long time, but it's nothing to eternity. And, and the truth is, people who, who die of old age, that's what? Average like 75, 80 right now? That's even less than 100. That's a short time. So look, this is not where you belong. This is not your true home. Your true home is heaven. And when Peter writes, elect exiles, he was trying to get them to realize, hey, yeah, you may be literally exiles from Rome, but I don't want you to be thinking about Rome. I don't want you to be thinking about that home. I want you to think about your true home. I want you to think about heaven. That's your true home. That's where you belong, right? Their true home is heaven, and they don't need to be discouraged about being exiles, they don't need to love their physical home too much. Look, you need to remember that earth is not your true home. You have a house or something that you live in, an apartment, a townhome, whatever. But the point is, that's not your true home. That's, that's, that's not permanent. It's here for now. But your true home as a Christian is heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. And you are waiting. We're waiting for our Savior to return. Right? That's what Philippians says, from, it, from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, Jesus will descend. He will come back. He will put all this to an end, and he will usher in eternity. And that's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. So look, do not love this earth too much. I want you to love your life. I want you to love your family. I want you to love your friends. I want you to love where God has you. I want you to love everything about your life. But I don't want you to love your life so much that you start thinking this is as good as it gets. Because it's, it's not. You need to love. You need, you, need to be, you need to be thinking about where you really belong. If you're too focused on life here, if your attention here is too strong, then you're not going to think about what's coming in the future. You need to be thinking about where you really belong. You are a citizen of heaven. And look, all that, all that just comes from elect exiles. He's trying to refocus these Christians, to focus on these things, right? Now, he goes on and he, and he says that they're elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge of God is awesome. The foreknowledge of God is a concept that should make believers, it should, just, it should make us go, wow, wow. God is amazing. He is so powerful. He is awesome. The foreknowledge of God, it doesn't just mean that he knows the future, right? He knows what's going to happen. He knows everything that's going to happen every second throughout all of eternity. He knows what's going to happen, 
Right? But his foreknowledge is not just saying he knows. His foreknowledge means that he actually planned it. Have you ever been in a situation before where somehow you just knew what was about to happen? You just had a really strong feeling that something was about to happen, and then it does happen, and you're like, whoa, how did I know that was going to happen? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been there before? Right? Uh, a couple years ago, um, I, came, I came home from work. This is not when I was here. This is when we lived in Georgia. I came home, and I sat down in my living room, and I was talking to Amber, my wife, and I said, hey, I don't really... I don't really know why, but I've just got a feeling that our pastor is about to leave. I just I don't know. I just think he's going to leave. Like two days later, my pastor at the time, he sat us down at a staff meeting and he said, hey guys, I'm, I'm leaving. I was like, what? Like how? I, I, I knew. I don't know how I knew, right? Even though, I, and, and the thing is, I didn't actually know for sure. I wasn't certain about this. I just had the feeling that it was going to happen, right? But just because I knew does that mean that I made it happen? Did my thought of, oh, he's going to leave, actually make him go, oh, I need to leave? No, it didn't. I didn't make it happen. So even whenever you feel like you might know what's going to happen, right? you don't actually know for sure, first of all. God knows exactly what's going to happen for sure, 100%. But it's more than just that. It's that he planned it. It's happening according to his plan and his purpose. That's the foreknowledge of God. And that's amazing. That's all in his power. Right? So Peter, he wants these Christians to understand that, that God planned what was happening. That God has everything under control. That the, the fires, right? the, the dispersion, the persecution, everything that's going on, he's trying to remind them, hey, God did not lose control. God is still in control of the situation. Because look, whenever things get hard for you, you probably have thought before, wow, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen to me? How, how could you do this to me? You must not really be powerful. You must not really be strong. And I'll bet you, right, that these Christians were thinking these things. And Peter knew it. And he's saying, no, 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 stop. Do not think that. It's happening according to God's foreknowledge. He, he's in control. He is still on his throne. He's still in control. And he's saying, look, just trust his plan. Trust what's going on. Trust God in the hard times. Keep on trusting God. Now, they're elect exiles according to God's foreknowledge. And the Bible also says that they're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Well, we talked about that word sanctification a little bit last week. But here's what it means. It means to be made more holy. It means to be made more like Jesus. And so the Bible says that Christians are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit is making you more like Jesus. Every day, with everything that happens, the goal, what's happening, is you, as a Christian, are becoming more and more like Jesus. And Peter, he's trying to tell these Christians that are going through this, this persecution, he's saying, hey, hey, God is in control, and what he's doing is actually for you to become more like Jesus. You need to focus on this. Focus on the good thing that's happening. Focus that God is making you like Jesus. And the same thing is true for you and me today. No matter what's going on, if you're a Christian, you can trust that God is making you more like Christ. And that's a good thing. That's always such a good thing. That's, that's another reason that they can trust God. He's saying trust God because of this. Trust God because of what is going on. Because he is always working for your good. And that comes from Romans chapter 8. Look, I want you to write this verse reference down. Romans 8, 28 through 30. 
I want you to circle it. And I want you to read it later. I'm going to read it now. We're going to talk about it. But I want you to read it later too. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Here's what it says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, there's that word again, that he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, those whom he justified, he also glorified. You need to trust God, because no matter what is going on in your life, he is working for your good. Now, I know that you may hear that and think, how in the world could persecution, how in the world could these fires that these Christians were dealing with, how in the world could that be for their good? Because the good that God is talking about is not money, not wealth, not, not a big house, not nice clothes, not anything like that. The good that God's word is talking about is you, as a Christian, being made more like Jesus. And there's nothing better than that. That's, that is the greatest good that God could be working for, is to make you more like Jesus. And so he's saying to these Christians, trust God, because he is working to make you more like Jesus. We have to start thinking about this. Like Even when I'm going through a hard time, even when life is really hard, it doesn't mean that God is not good. He continues to be good, and he continues to work for my good. And he knows that the best thing for you is to become more and more like Jesus. And he wants these Christians to remember that. He wants them to focus on these things. That even when life is hard, God has their best interests in mind. And he always has the best interests of Christians on his mind, and that is that they become more like Christ. And then he says this, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Christians are set apart from sin so that they can obey Jesus. The Christian life is about obedience to Jesus, obeying Jesus Christ. Real salvation always results in obedience to Jesus. So he's saying, hey, look, trust God and keep obeying God. Because like I said, when life gets hard, you can be tempted to think, there's no point, there's no purpose. Why, why am I going to keep obeying God? You may look at the lives of people who are not Christians, and you may see them sinning and doing bad, and, and it may look like their life is better. And you may think to yourself, there's no point. There's no point because, look, if I just give up and I start to sin, my life will probably get better like theirs. That thought is not true. Understand? You're going to think that at some point in time if you haven't yet. You've got to ignore it. You've got to get it out of your mind. God is always good. You can always trust him. You've got to keep on obeying him. Right? Look, I know we just talked about obeying Jesus last week, but it's important. It's all over the Bible. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, there's a theme that's going to keep popping up, and it's obeying God. Keep on obeying God. And then it talks about this, like, the sprinkling with the blood thing, right? What's that about? In the Old Testament, sprinkled blood from a sacrificed animal, it was this visual representation, this visual reminder that, that a life 
was given, that a sacrifice had been made, right? So they would sacrifice animals, and they would bleed, and the blood was representing, uh, hey, a sacrifice was made to atone for their sin, to, to forgive them of their sin. And so he talks about this, this sprinkling of blood, right? And we have in, in Leviticus chapter 14, there's this purification ceremony that happens, and it's for a man who had leprosy. Leprosy was a terrible, terrible skin disease. It would make the skin just, just get nasty, just disgusting, right? And it would hurt, and the skin would fall off, and it was just a bad, bad thing. And this man had leprosy, and, and he had been cleansed. He had been cured of his leprosy. And so what happens in these verses is, is during the ceremony, blood from a sacrificed bird was taken and sprinkled onto this man who had been, been healed from leprosy, and it represented his cleansing. It represented his purification from this disease, right? Now, a person with leprosy, they were not allowed to be around regular people. They couldn't be around people that were healthy. If they, were, if they had to walk through the city for any reason, it was really, really frowned upon. But if they had to, they had to cover themselves up and they had to say, unclean, 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 everywhere they went. So people would back off and get away from them. And people with leprosy, they were never allowed into the temple. They couldn't go and they couldn't worship God. It was according to the law, actually. So these people were just totally outside of everything. They couldn't get inside, and it was because of their disease. And the sprinkled blood on this man was representing that he was cleansed. Now, maybe you're starting to see where this is going, right? But this, this ceremony, the sprinkling blood, all of the time a sacrifice happened in the Old Testament, it was a foreshadowing to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It was all pointing to the greatest sacrifice to come. That they, that they, in the Old Testament, they were hoping for. They were hoping for the Messiah, for a Savior. So look, it's only because of Jesus, and it's only because of His sacrifice that we can actually have a relationship with God. It is only because Jesus died, Jesus took the punishment for sin that you and I deserve, and Jesus resurrected. It's because of the sprinkled blood of Jesus that we can be cleansed from our sin and we can be allowed into fellowship with God, right? So that's what this, this phrase, sprinkling with his blood, it represents. It represents the fact that Jesus died and his blood, his death, cleanses you from your sin. And so he's saying, hey, Christians, you're going through this hard time. You need to focus on this. Focus on what Jesus did for you. Because without the sacrifice of Christ... You couldn't be in fellowship with him. So he closes this sentence, right? He closes by saying, hey, you need to obey Jesus. You need to keep obeying him. But then he reminds them of the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. And what that is going to help them remember is even when I don't obey, if I trust in Christ, I'm forgiven, right? And that's not for you to take it and say, oh, I can do whatever I want and I'll be forgiven. No, it's just to remind you of God's faithfulness towards you, to remind you that you are forgiven if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ. And Paul, he ends, I'm sorry, Peter, he ends his, uh, his greeting with grace and peace be multiplied to you. He wants them to feel, to be comforted by the grace of God and the peace of God in the midst of their situation. And Christians, if you are a Christian, you can always be, you should always be comforted by the grace and peace of of God. It's always there. It's always available. Now look, Peter's greeting, it's important. This greeting alone, if they were listening to this messenger read it out loud, this would have encouraged them. It would have helped them to refocus on Christ. Like, yeah, what's going on is bad. It's a bad time, but I need to focus on these things. 
They would have felt encouraged, and I want it to encourage you too. Right? Now, verse 3, it starts the body of this letter. If you've ever written an essay before or a paper, your teachers have probably said, hey, you need to remember that you have to have an introduction and a conclusion, and the body of your essay goes between it. And they may say, your body needs to be five paragraphs, three paragraphs, whatever it may be. But the point is, that was his introduction, and this is getting into the body of his letter. And we're going to be in for a while. Right? Instantly, in verse 3, Peter breaks out to praising God. He just starts praising God. He talks about God's mercy in the many ways that God has shown his mercy to these Christians. Here's point number two. Know that you can never lose your hope. If you're a Christian, you need to know that you can never lose your hope. The hope that you have in Jesus will never, ever go away. That's what he reminds them when he talks about the living hope. Christians have a hope that is living. And look, it's only through God's mercy that Christians have this hope. It's only through his mercy that you can have these blessings that Peter is talking about. And Peter, the first thing he does in this letter is he says, Hey, praise God for his mercy. Blessed be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for his mercies. Now mercy, what that means is it's showing compassion. Showing compassion when it is, it's within one's power to punish. You realize God is showing you mercy every single day. It is completely within God's power to punish. Completely within his power. He, he could punish us all for our sin. He could condemn us all to hell. We could all go to hell and, and it, it would be good. It would be right because God is just. You understand? Because of our sin, that's what we deserve. But God shows us his mercy through Christ. For, for people who are not Christians, God shows you his mercy every single day by giving you the breath that you have to live. It's the mercy of God. And in his mercy, if you're a Christian, God has caused you to be born again. You were born again. This is what Jesus was talking about in, in John chapter 3, right? He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You will not go to heaven. You will not have eternal life in heaven in the presence of Jesus, unless you are born again. And it's a mercy of God that you become born again, that he, that he will revive you and redeem you and make you into something new. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're a Christian, you are a new creation. You're born again. You are brand new. And it's something that God did to you in his mercy for you because he loves you. It was not because of your goodness it wasn't because you did enough good things and God said, okay, good job, now you have my mercy and I'll make you born again. It's simply because of God's grace and God's mercy that you're born again. And he says that you are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You're born again to a living hope. I'm going to give you the world's definition of hope, okay? Here's what Google says about hope. Hope is to want an outcome that makes your life better somehow, right? When you're hoping for something, oh, I hope that I get this uh, birthday present, this cool present. I hope that I get this, this car. I hope I can get my license one day. I hope, I hope we win this game. I hope this, I hope that, right? You're hoping for something that you think is going to make your life better somehow, right? But the Bible says that we have living hope. 
the hope that is available through Christ, it's unlike any other hope that you could ever have, that anyone could ever give you, that anyone could have for any reason. It's so different. It's so much better because it's alive because we have a living Savior. Jesus is alive today. He is still living. He didn't stay dead, did he? He rose again and we have a living hope. We have a hope for for eternal life in heaven, right? Remember, you're a citizen of heaven. You're you're hoping, you're eagerly. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's going to be point three, sorry. You, You should be thinking about this. Now look, the, the, another major difference between hoping in things of this world, like you hope you get a birthday present, you hope you get this, you hope you get that, is that that's never a guarantee, is it? Have you ever hoped for something that didn't happen? Yeah, me too, right? But in Christ, we have living hope. And that means that the hope that we have, the hope that Christ gives you, the hope that he's forgiven you, and, and when your time on earth is done, you'll go on to eternal life with him, it's a guarantee, 100%. There is no chance that it doesn't happen if you've given your life to Jesus, if you trust in Jesus. So the hope that we have is unlike hope that anyone else has. No one else has this hope. Only Christians, only people who believe in Jesus, who trust in Christ, have this living hope. And it's by the mercy of God that he gives this hope. I remember I was talking to a student of mine a few years ago, this high school guy, and he's like, yeah, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian, you know, like I believe in all this stuff. And I said, okay, good. So if you died today, you know that you would go to heaven, right? And he said, well, I don't know, but I mean, I, I hope so. And I just said, dude, you don't get it. You don't get it. Because if you, if you are confident that you're a Christian, if you know you're a Christian, there is no, well, I don't know, I sure hope so. It's a guarantee. It's a living hope. It's alive because Christ is alive. And we always have this hope. Now look, when I say, know that you can never lose your hope, right? I know that there have been times in life where you felt hopeless, where you felt sad, where you felt down. And if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen in the future, right? And what I mean is that whenever you start to feel that way, right, you're going to feel like all hope is lost. You're going to feel like, oh, there's nothing to hope for, right? But the truth is, as a Christian, you can never lose your hope. Whenever you feel down, you should just remember, no, I, I, I shouldn't feel hopeless because I have a living hope. I have the thing in Christ that I'm hoping for, to be with him for eternity. I know I'm a Christian, and I know that nothing can take that away. I know that no one can ever take my hope away from me, that I will never lose my hope. And now Peter, he's wanting these people, these Christians, to remember you have the living hope. No matter how bad life gets, no matter how terrible things are going, you will always have the living hope because you always have Christ if you really are a Christian. So again, he's trying to refocus them. Focus on these things. You need to refocus. Marshall Peter, he wants them to know that they need to be anchored in their living hope. And then he further explains what makes their living hope so amazing. He he wants them to be eager. He wants them to be excited about what they're hoping in. Here's point number three. Eagerly anticipate your eternal life with Jesus. I want you to be excited about your eternal life with Jesus. If you're a Christian today, I hope that you are, you need to be excited for heaven. You need to be excited for the inheritance that Peter talks about that you are going to have. Anticipate, that's what it means to look forward to, to be excited. And Christians have an inheritance waiting for them. 
You know, you have something that you're going to inherit, that you're going to be given, that you will receive whenever you enter into heaven. So many wonderful things happen when we're in heaven. Some of these things are just going to include eternal life, righteousness, joy, peace, perfection, the presence of Jesus. You're going to be in the literal presence of Christ, of your Savior, the one that you trust in, the one who is your living hope. You will be in the very presence of Jesus. You need to be excited for it. Do you guys ever get excited to spend time with someone? Are there certain people in your life when you think about hanging out with them or spending time with them that you just get excited? You're like, oh, I can't wait. Maybe you're going to hang out with someone tomorrow. You guys are going to go to school tomorrow, aren't you? Are you excited for school? Probably not. You guys see what I'm talking about? There's people, there are people in your life that you get excited to hang out with. Yes? Yeah? There's people in my life that I get excited to spend time with. Every single day, whenever it's time to leave work, I get excited to go home and spend time with my wife and my son, with Amber and Noah. I, I get excited about it. And, and there's even times where work isn't over yet, and it's like an hour before I get to leave, and I'm already thinking about, like, it's, get, it's getting close. And it's not because I hate my job. I love my job. But I love spending time with my family. I love that. I get excited to do that. So there's days where I'm at work, and I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating to go home and spend time with my family, Right? But look, Jesus, eternal life, the living hope that we have, infinitely better than my son and my wife. Infinitely better. Infinitely better than your best friends and and your family and whoever it is that you get excited to hang out with. Jesus, the hope that we have to go to heaven and be with him, is so much better. It's so much better. So we should be excited about this. I'm not saying that you just need to wish your life away. And I'm not saying, oh, I wish that I would just go on. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not saying that. Because I already said I want you to love your life. You need to be eager. You need to be thinking, wow, one day, one day I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in the presence of Jesus. One day I'm going to be there. I'm, I am excited about this. I can't wait for this. And now Peter, he describes this inheritance a little bit. He, he describes it in three ways, four, four ways. He says, first of all, it's imperishable. And then he says it's undefiled and it's unfading. Those are the first three things. That means it will never go away. It is imperishable. Heaven, your, your living hope, what you're hoping for, the eternal life that you're going to have with Jesus will never go away. It is eternal. It is forever. And it's undefiled. That means it's perfect. Life on earth is not perfect. You and I are not perfect. This earth is not perfect. But the life that we'll have in heaven being there with Christ, completely perfect. You will be glorified, like Romans 8, 20, uh, Romans 8, 20 and 30 says, right? You'll be glorified. That means that your body, you will be made completely like Jesus. It doesn't mean you're going to become Jesus. You're going to become God. It means that you're going to be like him. There's going to be no sin, no more pain, no more heartache, nothing like that. It's undefiled. It's perfect. And then it says it's unfading, and that means it never decays. It, it will never be less awesome. In eternity, thousands and thousands and millions of years, if you can even think about it that way, for eternity, there's never going to be a day when you wake up and go, oh, I'm getting kind of bored of this. It's unfading. And it says it's kept in heaven for you. God is keeping it in heaven for you. He has a place ready for you. If you're a Christian, if you are a part of God's elect, like we talked about, there is a place waiting. He, it's prepared and it's ready for you. He's keeping it for you. You should be excited about that. 
Revelation chapter 22. This is the very end of the Bible. God lets us in. He gives us a picture of what it's going to be like. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And we're going to stop there. That's one, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 22 in Revelation. That's awesome, right? Like, beautiful, beautiful streets, and it's just going to look awesome. Like, I want you to be excited for, like, that, that part of it, okay? But this part, starting in verse 3, should be what you are most excited for as a Christian. This should be what you can't wait to experience when you go to heaven. Here it is. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What you should be most excited for is that you will be in the presence of your Savior. You will see his face and worship him face to face. Look, if you think about heaven and you're just most excited for like the streets of gold and the, the tree of life and all these things and you never once think about Jesus will be there, you, you need to think more about that. You need to think about where your priorities are. Are you most excited just for like, oh, it's going to be cool? Or are you excited that Jesus is there? He'll be in his presence forever. I want you to be eager. I want you to just, just be excited about this. And Peter says that, that you're being guarded for this, that God is, is, is guarding you through faith, right? And it means that God is protecting you, that no one will snatch you away from him. No one or nothing, if you're a Christian, can take this inheritance away from you. No matter how bad life gets, no matter what happens, even if you die, if someone kills you, they cannot take away your eternal life that you have in him. He's guarding you through faith. He's protecting you for this. No one can take away your salvation. All right? In the beginning of this letter, all over this, what we just read through the beginning, he jumps into this overview of all the reasons that you should be excited. All, all the mercies of God, all the reasons that you should just be loving more, loving Jesus more and more and more, right? And the only way to receive these blessings. The only way to receive the mercy of God, I want everybody to look at me. I'm almost done. Please pay attention. The only way for you to receive this is if you trust in Jesus. If you are sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian, everything that we just talked about, everything that Peter is writing about, you're on the outside looking in. You're not going to experience this. You don't have the living hope. You don't have the hope of eternity in heaven. You do have eternity. There's two options, like we talked about weeks ago. Either on the narrow road or the wide road. The narrow one leads here. The wide one leads straight to hell. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you're on the outside. You're looking in. When I was growing up, uh, I lived in this, this community, this neighborhood, and there was this really awesome pool, this amazing pool, right? Water slide, waterfall, lap pool, I mean, diving board, 
so awesome. Like free ice cream. It's awesome, right? Super, super cool. There's only one problem. The problem was I was not a member of my community pool. And there was a gate, this big black gate. Over the summer, I could stand outside and I could look in and I could see all of these awesome things that were happening. I could see even my friends from school eating their free ice cream, going down the slide. But that was all. I couldn't participate. I couldn't engage. I couldn't go in. I was on the outside looking in. And like I said, if you're not a Christian today, you're just on the outside looking in on all of these wonderful things that God has in store for his people. And the only way for you to receive God's mercy, to receive these things, to have this living hope, is for you to put your trust in Jesus. And it's my prayer that if you haven't, that you will, if not today, very, very soon. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the living hope that we have in you. God, please help us to be focused on these things. No matter what happens in life, no matter what comes our way, help us to focus on you. Help us to just keep trusting you and keep obeying you, God. God, thank you so much for your mercies. Thank you that no one can take this hope away from us, that you have this and it's available and that whenever we feel hopeless that we can, we can still have hope. God, help us to be excited for our future with you, for our inheritance with you, God. And I pray that if there are someone in this room this morning that has not trusted you, that they would do that very soon. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.